changing seasons, longer days, shorter nights, and so forth. <clears throat> and the observer, the witness to change, being the, being the witness, or the puto, or the knower. So I just reflect, uh, this is a simple reality of uh, b being born into human form, human body, puts us in this relationship of knowing and experiencing consciousness. Consciousness is the ability to know. So consciousness is a natural condition. We don't create it. It's not ignorance. It's not something that we can, you know, if we claim it as some kind of personal attribute, that's a creation, the sense of it being me and mine, or, or even not being me and mine, is, is still a creation of thought, identity, or uh, denial, or affirmation. But consciousness is like this, and we be aware of the of it the way it is. The long days, longer days like this, this changing of the seasons, this witnessing, this knowing the way it is. It's not it's not judging or comparing, but recognizing, realizing, awakening. So it's a very natural, simple reality that we're uh, that we're taking refuge in the Dhamma, in the way it is, rather than in the complications of our personality, our, our attachment to memories, to conditioning of any sort. But this is, of course, not uh, easy for us, because uh, we are, we want, we, our nature out of ignorance is to complicate, make things more than what they are, create problems. Uh, having a self, having a personality, being a separate person is, is of course, a problem, is problematic. This sense of separateness and identity with the physical body, with the gender of the body. How many of you suffer over gender? You know, about being male or female, or feeling, uh, you know, somehow it should be 
you know, equality, gender should be totally equal, or whatever, whatever view that we have around the, the sex of the body is cultural. But in terms of Dhamma, the, the, the body is like this. You know, it's a conscious form in the universe. It's, uh, if, it, if it's a female, it's like, you know, female body or male body. We can recognize, you know, recognize that if we identify, then we become, it becomes more than what it is. Because my body, I am a, a male, a man, I am a woman. Or we get getting more complicated as we get confused about the gender, the, the sexuality. Are we heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, transsexual? It gets increasingly more complicated, you know, as we we try to figure out just what we are in terms of sexual inclinations, sexual habits, sexual tendencies. But the awareness, the awareness of this is our refuge. Trying to figure out exactly what we are and, and label ourselves, no matter what we decide we are and what we settle for in terms of, of a label, of a condition or quality, then uh, it's still, it's still no, no refuge. It's still dukkha, still unsatisfactory. So there's no condition that, uh, that can truly satisfy us. In the, having the best conditions uh, is still unsatisfying, it's still dukkha. So this word dukkha is the uh, first noble truth, a sense of unsatisfactoriness, inadequacy, incompleteness. Because whatever you decide you are, you, you're separating yourself, you're creating a separation, a sense of, of separation from the whole. And that very feeling of being separate is, is dukkha. You read about the dramas, the uh, melodramas of life and the problems of modern life and people are going around searching for themselves, trying to find out what they truly are, where they truly belong. Where do I truly fit in? What is my real home? Where, what is my true nature? And these, these kind of problems, uh, you know, we, we create endlessly trying to find out if we're, you know, what you know, if you have people who are mixed race have problems about what race do they really belong to or what nationality or what religion. Parents and orphans going around searching for their, their, their blood parents are still looking for an identity, uh, an ancestral uh, alignment of some sort, or some ethnic identity, wanting to to think that if we find it, if we can really settle for that, then we will be, uh, we'll, we won't suffer. Or maybe our suffering will diminish. Now the Buddha approached this uh, in a very direct way, using the Dukkha, the First Noble Truth, 
is, you know, is going right to the cause, right to the source. It's not, there's nothing uh, neurotic or complicated about it because dukkha is the, is the so, so much of, you know, as long as there's this, this, this uh, ignorance of Dhamma, then, then our lives are going to be the experience mainly of suffering or sorrow or grief or fear, or desires that we are con co constantly binding ourselves to. And always looking for some kind of place or person or state or whatever where we feel at ease, feel at one, feel content. So in, in terms of meditation, taking this, this, uh, this ordinary um, characteristic of conditioned phenomena, dukkha, is not, not to support or an, an ego of saying, I suffer a lot because I, am, I have these problems or I don't know who I am or I'm unhappy with because I didn't get all the very best that life had to offer or you know I don't I'm an orphan or I'm dissatisfied because I didn't get the right education or whatever we can always you know expand into into neurotic sense of a self a, a separate personality that that missed out that's a victim of life because we weren't born with the best condition but notice that the Buddha's not saying we're not trying to get the best conditions, thinking that will that will solve the problem of suffering. But recognizing the very nature of conditioned phenomena, even the best conditions are the worst ones. Whether it's good health or bad health, whether you're you know, you're young or old, male or female, orphaned or from good family, from high uh, you know, from from upper class or lower class, working class, middle class, whatever race, <laughs> doesn't really matter because they're all conditions. And the nature of conditioned phenomena is anicca dukkha nata. Or, uh, you know, conditions are, the, you know, the, they begin and end, they rise and cease impermanence, the Nietzsche. So that's why in, in Vipassana meditation there's emphasis on a Nietzsche of contemplating impermanence and just observing whatever you think you are, you know, whatever you hold to, whatever you make into a problem and, and regard as important and mine and my problem and my view and my this and that, if you really observe that sense of me and mine. Because you can observe it, it's a, it's a mental state you create. Because uh, awareness, mindfulness, is, is, there's no sense of, you know, sense of self might arise and cease. But after the sense of self has ceased, there's still awareness which we don't create, it's not a personal, uh, I don't create awareness out of desire or ignorance. I, mean, I recognize it.
It's my refuge. And so it is merely the simplicity, the real direct practice is the simplicity of being awake and aware, observing. Not coming from any preconception or idea or or axe to grind or anything like that. It's not about becoming or changing or or trying to get something or get rid of anything, but recognizing, awakening. Like Dhamma is, you know, like in the reading this morning, that nature, the natural way of things, what is natural. And so awakening in, in terms of the capacity of an individual uh, human being is on the separateness level, there's always this sense of separation. When I see you, you know, I feel separate. If I'm, you know, sitting up here on this high seat and you're down there, you're over there. I notice the, the, the di distinctions, the differences, how close or far away, or relationship, senior to junior, monk to nun, and on and on like that. Then this is, this is so easy to regard, this is the real world, this is reality. These conditions, these changing conditions, we don't, we don't observe them, we merely react to them, we're conditioned by them, we're identified with them. So then, of course, life becomes complicated. Monasticism can be a very complicated experience if you want to make it so. 227 Padimokha rules and all the rest in the ancient traditions and so forth, the Tripitaka, enormous, you know, literature of scripture, commentaries and all the rest, Abhidhamma, it's, it's, uh, Buddhism can look like incredibly complicated uh, kind of uh, religious teaching. And we're quite capable of, of um, increasing its complications. Because whatever we grab hold of out of ignorance, we make it into more than what it is. So even the idea of simplicity, if we grasp the idea or the ideal of simplicity, it becomes complicated. Whatever we create, you know, like if there's, if, if there's simplicity, then there's complexity. If there's uh, day, there's going to be night. If there's good, bad, right, wrong, male, female, winter, spring, summer, autumn, high and low, what should and shouldn't be. We're oftentimes very much influenced and intimidated by what's right and wrong. Because the conditioned realm is about right and wrong. Good and bad, beautiful and ugly. Our thinking mind are able to create thoughts and ideas. and We can create ideals of how things should be. If everything were perfect, then it then it, then it should be like this, and then we're aware of how it shouldn't be. There should be fairness at at every moment of our life. Fairness is the ideal, and then there shouldn't be any unfairness. There should be uh, loving kindness all the time. We should feel loving kindness towards all sentient beings all the time. 
And we shouldn't feel angry and jealous and mean-hearted and nasty. These are the ideals we hold, you know, about what should and shouldn't be. Now notice this is when we can be aware of this, of the shoulds, of how we create these ideals and the and they're of well, and what we don't want, what we want, what we don't want. The sense of my identity, of myself, is is being uh, this person, this this uh, position, this age, and so forth. Whatever, ever condition, with the age of the body, the gender of the body, the the social position I'm in the health or whatever, you know, the, the uh, height, the size, all of it is, uh, if, if I don't examine it with wisdom, then of course I become a neurotic, complicated person. And wherever I go, I spread these neurotic complications around me. So we can, you know, we can see why people can be so easily influenced by other, by crazy people. We've often wondered, you know, how could people follow su such uh, inadequate psychopathic leaders? Or, you know, how could be people like Stalin or Hitler? Or that, you know, how could large, you know, vast population of people want to follow such psychopathic, such neurotic, such crazy personalities. And it's because of ignorance, isn't it? Of not aw being awake, not understanding Dhamma. We're intimidated, we're propelled along the neurotic paths of power and delusion that, that, other, that our governments uh, provide, intimidate us, frighten us. Ideally, we shouldn't. We should be independent and and uh, be, you know, not get caught up in the delusions uh, of our society as an ideal. Or just survival, learning how to survive in a system, in a tyrannical system, or an unfair system. You know, how can I survive this, get through this somehow? Is you know the sense of a self and fear and and survival are kind of instinctual energies we have to try to get through life somehow as best we can. But then what we have here at this very moment here and now is awakeness. It's not monasticism. Isn't about survival and getting putting up with things, but awakening to the Dhamma. So this Buddha and the Dhamma, these are, we take these refuges. And in the reality of Buddha Dhamma then is these are not ideals about how things should be. They're, the word Buddha is is not an ideal, but it is a word. So it is limited in the fact that it is a word. But if you skillfully, if we use this word skillfully, then it, it's all about awakeness. Because consciousness is operating, whether you're crazy or enlightened. 
But awakening is not becoming uh, somebody who is enlightened, but observing, witnessing, noticing, observing Dhamma the way things are. And then the very clear teachings of the Buddha about all conditions are impermanent, that, that's not saying that conditions are, you know, shouldn't be impermanent. They should be permanent. It's just merely pointing to the reality that we're experiencing here in the present moment. The breath, the breath, you know, there's nothing permanent about the breath. It's all in this process of change, isn't it? Breathing in, breathing out. The body itself, you know, it's the posture you're in, sitting, standing, walking, lying down. The movement of the body is the experience of change. Just uh, as we awaken, we begin to pay attention to the way it is in terms of Dhamma, not in terms of the way we think it should be, or coloring everything, every moment of our life with our prejudices, our own fears and desires and opinions and views, but it's a direct awakening to the reality of change like this. Now when I try to look for myself as a person, if I try to think about what my true nature is, you know, it's in, you know, what changes too, you know, sometimes, you know, what is my true nature? Where do I really belong? And so forth, and I start thinking and trying to figure it out, you know, through uh, taking courses on developing pers my personality and self-fulfillment and relationship therapies and getting over my my neurotic fears and so forth that it's still coming from ignorance isn't it from the from the assumption that I am these these conditions and that they it should be I should do something about them if they're not very good I should you know change them maybe into better better sense of a self more positive ego to love myself and appreciate myself as a person so then I can go into you know trying to to love myself and and think of myself in positive terms which you know is certainly probably create more happiness in your life than the uh, than its opposite because if you always see yourself through negative perceptions it that's where you, one gets depressed and despairing a hopeless case isn't it if if you know if you're always criticizing and uh, disparaging seeing your faults and comparing yourself with others but all of these whether you how you see yourself in positive terms or negative ones the awakened state like this it's like see feeling i'm not any good is like this feeling i'm uh, a very fine wonderful person is like this but it's impermanent and can you sustain the sense of being a wonderful person or can you sustain the sense of being a terrible person when you really are aware and then the personality the sense of person fades away it, it ceases and what's left is awareness consciousness awareness sati panya sati sampatanya this is what buddha dhamma is about why we take refuge in buddha dhamma sangha 
not in ideas about Buddha Dhamma Sangha anymore, uh, pointing to the reality of what Buddha is in terms of this very moment. Buddha is awareness itself, ability at this moment to to be aware. It kind of it's knowing, recognizing this moment like this, and then seeing uh, uh, and then the Dhamma knowing all conditions are impermanent. Being able to discern the changingness of conditions and the discerning ability isn't isn't something we create and then and, and the changes. It's something we rest in. We're not trying to make ourselves into somebody that's more aware. And these are, as long as you think about yourself, create yourself, identify with condition phenomena, good, bad, right or wrong or whatever, you're you're stuck to that world of impermanence. And and you'll always feel it'll always be this sense of of lack, of something wrong, something missing, loneliness, separation. Something more to do. Something I've got to get that I don't have. Or what I have, you know, all my faults and and uh, defects, I've got to get rid of them. I've got to make myself pure by getting rid of my anger and fear and all these uh, bad emotions which I don't want. So that's why you know, the, well, the epithet knower of the world, for the Buddha, loka vidu, Knowing the world. And this knowing then, what is, you know, the reality of this moment is, uh, you know, the, of this physical form that's sitting here in this seat, the conscious form, and so its, it's senses are offering. So I see you at this very moment. There's seeing. And if I just follow the appearance of seeing, you know, I, I'm here, you're there. That's how it looks on the sensory. When we when we don't uh, rest in pure awareness, then we create this sense of of uh, separation by identifying with the physical body and the and the uh, thinking process and the memories. So, in when we awaken to Dhamma, awaken to the way things are, then we you know we. We still can see, uh, you know, observe the, the that I'm sitting here and you're sitting there. But instead of identity with it and believing that is our only reality, we well, this is this is the the reality of change. Conditions are changing. Because I'm not going to sit here all the time. You're not going to sit there all the time. <laughs> Conditions change. And then the movement, we get up and walk or stand or lie down or whatever, go in and out, beginning and ending. But the awareness then is is what is constant, where we can actually witness and observe change. If you're attached to any condition, then you can observe change. You might... Go for the idea, you say, oh, Buddhists believe in everything is impermanent. You might quote the scriptures and and all that, but that doesn't mean you, you, you understand it. It just means you've got the ideas 
that you're attached to, Buddhist Buddhist teachings from scriptures. And the, that this is, you know, what the Buddha is offering is, is, is awakened, enlightenment, seeing directly, knowing directly. We talk about mortality because, you know, our real nature is Dhamma, deathless. And yet death is, is a very much, you know, one of the things that we all experience, isn't it? Our own death, eventually the death of this body. You know, so this is, and this is, uh, you know, we, when we identify with the body, then, then the, this idea that I'm going to die arises. If there's a recognition of the body in terms of Dhamma, it's a, con it's a condition changing, and, and we don't create an identity with it, then we're already realizing the deathless. The reality of deathlessness is here and now, or oneness. Now when we talk about the deathless, the unconditioned, or oneness, these, these are words just like good, bad, right and wrong. But these words, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not about conditions, even though the words themselves are conditions. These words are to help us to, to awaken, to recognize the deathless reality is now. This is it. And then, and then they, and that's what we realize through awareness, through sati sampachanya, sati panya, mindfulness, wisdom, intuitive awareness. Now right understanding Samadhiti is empty. There's, it's not a position. It has no, you can't uh, define right understanding that you can know. When we talk about emptiness, this is another word. But then we form views about, you know, we shouldn't have any self and we shouldn't be attached to anything. And those are attachments. Just the idea that we, that I'm somebody that, that shouldn't be attached or shouldn't have desires or things like this. It's still creation of a self, holding the, uh, kind of playing around with Buddhist ideas. But awareness is empty because in the self, the self, the sense of a self, or sakyaditi arises and ceases. You, being the knower of Sakya Ditti is not Sakya Ditti, not self, not the ego, not the personality. So on the personal level, there's nobody, no self. Anatta is empty, but it's still conscious. Consciousness is operating. I don't go unconscious and, and fall into a black hole. That's oftentimes what people fear, isn't it? If they if they, you know, the idea of anatta, no self and emptiness can sound intellectually quite frightening because it sounds like annihilation. And kind of going into it, like falling into a black hole of oblivion can be one of the most terrifying images. But emptiness is, is a natural state. It's natural, it's dhamma, it's, rea it's real. 
It's just awakening, recognizing, discerning. It's just it's a simplicity of awareness. Recognizing. So these are the words, recognizing, realizing. Because we don't recognize usually emptiness or uh, no self. You know, the self, the sense of ourself is 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 conditioned out of this lack of understanding of of being conditioned by cultural, social attitudes, prejudices, biases, identities, ideals. So that's why when we investigate, encourage you to to really be the knower of whatever you're thinking. And not to judge and say it's good or bad anymore, but it is the way it is. It's changing. And being able to accept and allow the thinking process to operate doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't doesn't mean you have to stop thinking, but recognizing thinking, observing, being the knower of the thinking process, not the, the one who has views about you shouldn't think. We've got to get rid of your thinking process. Because that's thinking again. You know, here's, here, you know, people talking about, they just, they just don't get it, you know. They've been monks or nuns for ages and they're not getting it. They still feel they haven't gotten anything out of it. They've missed something. You know, I can't do it. I can't meditate. I have no samadhi. I can't, you know, haven't had any insight. I'm just, you know, spent all this time for nothing because I, you know, maybe I'm, you know, appreciate, they always say, we do appreciate the chance of getting ordained and being a monk and or not, is great, you know, but uh, then we go into this, this endless uh, self-disparaging. I can't get it. I can't practice. I don't understand. I can't concentrate. My mind wanders. That's all self, isn't it? That's a sense of I'm. I should have. I should have gotten something out of this by now. Forty years as a Buddhist monk. I should have. You know. I should be somebody who really understands Dhamma in all his aspects. An expert. I should be. You should call me meditation master. And I'm. I'm an authority. World authority. I've achieved that. Or maybe, oh, you know, I don't, 40 years, I still don't quite understand what it's all about. <laughs> but either one is still self, isn't it? And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm the, the greatest thing since Buddha. Or I'm, I'm 40 years I've wasted because I still don't quite get the point. It's still thinking, isn't it? It's still you know, I am, I should have, I expected something, I didn't get what I wanted, I can't do it. It's still, you know, it's still the creation of the mind. And in the knowing of that is Buddha knowing the Dhamma. All conditions are impermanent, not self. So it's as simple as that. You know, it's not, not to, you know, either you, you feel successful or fulfilled or whatever by meditation, by having become monks or nuns, 
uh, that you really feel confident uh, or you feel still full of doubts and skepticism. Awakenness is aware of that. Those are, those are states that arise and cease. So the personality does operate, you know, so it's just getting to know the personality is the personality. It's not getting rid of your personality or trying to control it or deny it, but to recognize it. Like Sakyaditi as a fetter, a sangyojana. This is recognizing. We're not trying to, to make, to get rid of personality, but to recognize it. So in, in terms of recognizing a personality, it's very simple. Just listen to it. You know, listen to yourself thinking. All the fears and desires and conceits and whatnot that your personality might produce. That which is aware of the personality, of the thinking process. If you really pursue this, you know, you really put it into practice, it'll, you, you begin to understand, you'll see it for yourself. As long as you just grasp my, you know, take my advice and, and grasp what I'm saying, you won't. You know, it's just, you start, you start, you know, this is what Ajahn Sumedho said to do, but I'm not getting any results from it. You know, I've still got so many problems and uh, unresolved emotional habits and and uh, still feel, you know, I don't still feel very uh, restless and inadequate. So, you, you know, just because you understand what I'm saying doesn't mean you really understand it. You know, you might get the idea of it. But applying it, so in my own experience, really listening to myself, in, you know, in good times, bad times, when I'm feeling on top of the world, when I'm feeling total despair, when I'm bored, fed up, selfish, childish, silly, intelligent, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the conditions are. You know, what your personality is producing. You don't have to be wise and 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 full of compassion and and loving kindness. Sometimes that one is like that, those conditions arise. Sometimes one feeling mean hearted and jealous and nasty and resentful and ungrateful for everything. Complaining, grumbling. But listening, you know, listening to and then, then there's this question, that which is aware of the thinking. Say if I'm in a negative mental state, complaining, nobody loves me, everybody hates me. Say I'm feeling like this, but I'm not right now, this is just an example. <laughs> I should feel, you know, negative state, feeling sorry for myself. If I listen to that, then I question, there's awareness of this sense of a self that feels nobody loves me, it's like this. And listening to it, listening to this sense of nobody loves me, then, then, but there's, an, it's a, it's a, it's not judging, it's trying to convince myself that I'm wrong or that everybody loves me or that I shouldn't feel this way. It's just recognizing, thinking. The sense of a self that I create through thinking is like this, feels like this. And that which is aware of thinking is not a thought. 
So when you when you really investigate, you get to see this. It becomes so obvious because it's real. This is not a playing games with your mind or trying to convince yourself or condition yourself in a different way. It's just recognizing. This pure consciousness, this awareness, consciousness, and then the, then the sense of a self that comes and goes. So then, it, you know, after a while, you know, at least this is, this is my experience, it became so apparent. This is my refuge, this awareness. And these this, views, opinions, sense of a self is not self. And it changes according to, you know, my physical state, whether I'm feeling healthy or sickly or people are kind to me or people are being mean to me or whether it's rainy and cold or sunny and warm or whatever. Depends, the self changes. But this awareness then is a constant, you know, so the change, you, this is where you get the perspective on change and the, and the, and the, the, the insight, the reality of emptiness, of non-self, of the deathless. The deathless is real. It's not some kind of metaphysical theory of Buddhism. So that's why the Buddha never wanted to argue the fact, you know, going into kind of meta metaphysical speculation about the ultimate nature and so forth, you know, because, you, you know, that can be interesting intellectually, but it's not liberating. You know, is there a God or isn't there a God? You know, is that, you know, is you know, there's the God illusion, Richard Dawkins' latest bestseller. They create illusions, but also the, 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 there's an illusion there isn't any God. It's all about thinking, isn't it? Denial or affirmation. Whether there is or there isn't, it's still a condition of the mind we create, whether we want to believe in God or believe there isn't any. But awakenedness then is is not about believing and deciding in which you know which one we believe in or want to believe in or that we can support by thinking, but awakening and recognizing. So this is not something that that demands conditions. It's just awakening to conditions as they happen to be. You know, whether whatever way you're, what you're experiencing now, whatever conditions, physical, emotional, mental, whatever they, is awakened to them, they are what they are. You know, the conditions are like this. They're, they're changing. It's energy. It's movement. Begins and ends. You can't sustain you have the illusion that you're the same person all the time, but that's, that's an illusion you carry, isn't it? Through, through just believing that I'm this personality as a kind of permanent state of being. But when I awaken and observe and investigate, then personality changes. Just the, whether it's day or night, or summer or winter, or whatever. So this is an encouragement for you because it, it, we need, even though you hear me talking like this all the time, <laughs> I still 
uh, we do need to be reminded because, uh, you know, in a community like this one, we do get involved with each other on a personal level, emotionally. You can't help it. You know, living in with others is like this. It's just the way it is. You know, the different personalities, different expectations, different nationalities, genders and identities and generations and, and they're all different and we affect each other. We feel attraction or aversion or like or dislike according to conditions. So it's, it's you know, this is and and all we you know if we don't awaken if we don't understand then we are caught up in our own you know views and opinions and likes and dislikes and and we create a lot of misery around uh, you know communal community community life but we're not here we're not trying to form the perfect community where, where that is ideal. You know, whatever the way the community is, it's like this. It's the way it is at this moment. It's not that, say, the community is permanently like this, but if I'm feeling about the community, this is the way it seems now. But the awareness is my refuge, not in not, not grasping my feeling about the community in the moment. Or wanting it to be otherwise. And if I do want it to be otherwise, then I become aware of that, of wanting it to be something other than the way it seems. Or if, if, it's, if it's in a good point right now, wanting to keep it this way and make sure that you know, nobody comes and, and uh, harms it or creates disharmony. You know, so we get into controlling and into wanting to change things, revolutionize, change, improve, progress, develop everything into to where it's better and better according to the way we think it should be. But notice the reality of Dhamma is not about how things should be, it's about how they are. All conditions are impermanent and not self. So our relationship to the conditioned realm <coughs> is one of knowing it. And that knowing then is not a personal condition. It's not about, I know something you don't know or anything like that. It's, 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 it's a universal, it's, it's reality, it's consciousness. And to recognize it and rest in it because it's a resting place. It's where we can truly be at ease and there's our real home where, you know, it's oneness, it's complete, it's perfect. And one, and, and it, one can recognize it. It is just this, this simplicity of attentive awareness in which the conditions can change. You know, we, we're not, no longer trying to manipulate the conditioned realm according to our fears and desires. So learning to, you know, this sense of relief of not having to do things. You know, how many of you on this winter's retreat have desperately tried to get insights and, and samadhi and concentration and achieve and, you know, get into your control freak mode of don't talk to me, I'm, I'm on my self-retreat. Don't come near me because you might upset me and just 
and upset my samadhi and things like this. We can get into, you know, wanting to control things and so that we, we might experience a little peace and tranquility which we desire. But the, but the real practice is in awareness, not in attaining tranquility. So achievement, you know, there are total failures, it can feel like a total failure or, you know, a, one of the great meditators of the age. They're both conditions. So it's not a matter of, you know, one that you should try to see yourself in positive terms anymore, but whatever way you, you're feeling, it's how you see yourself, is, is, it's like this. You know, feeling failures like this, feeling successful is like this. And that which is aware is neither success nor failure. And people ask me, you know, about lay practice and monastic practice and like this, you know, over the years, being a monk for so many years, you can hear the same questions over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel I have to know any of the answers to these questions. <laughs> it's not a matter of, of, of finding the right conditions, but recognizing conditions. You know, it's as simple as that. It's not, not you know, giving you advice about You've got to have these conditions in order to become enlightened. That's that's not Dhamma anymore. That's opinion or view. So this uh, this sense of awakenness is a direct awareness, very simple. It's real. Recognizing and and appreciating it. So I remember. You know, in, in the early years of monastic life, it's in Thailand where, you know, I start, you know, just saying, just being awake and aware like this. And then my skeptical mind, this doesn't seem like very much. You know, I'm not doing anything. Surely, you know, you've got to work hard, you've got to get jhanas, and you've got to get the I am concentration, and you've got to get the insights and, and the ego, the Sakyaditi, you know, it's full of this driven kind of, you've got to get something, you can't waste your time, you've got to, you know, you've got to work hard and, and really apply yourself. This is, this is, you know, the very culture that I'm from. This is a sense of a, an American male of my generation is very goal-oriented and attaining. So bringing that into Thai forest monasticism, you know, it could impress people. They say, oh, Ajahn, oh, Tomato really works hard, you know, sits hours and does this and does that. No, he's really gang, gang, mark, you know, Tomato. But, you know, with all my efforts, out of my ego to attain and achieve, sometimes I would attain. I'd get incredibly tranquil sometimes and blissful. And, but then this, it was all based on, on ignorance. 
on a self, on a, on a sense of I've achieved something, and then you lose it because it's so dependent on controlling conditions. Feeling frustrated by the other monks when they, when they, you know, when you have to work and you have to do things you, that aren't conducive towards these tranquil states. You get angry at the other monks or want to go out, go to some other monastery where you can, you know, really practice, get your samadhi, get your practice together, and that's where it's at. But in the Buddha Dhamma, it's awareness that is the way. And it's this, this sense of trying to control and get and get rid of and, and, uh, and the conceit, the terrible conceit that, that would drive me into to all kinds of meditation practices. And then, then when you feel you, you, know, you aren't getting what you want, you feel despair and doubt and, and uh, get, become critical of the place you're in and the monks you're living with and on and on like this. So that's why this dukkha, the first noble truth, was the real, was the is the reference point, isn't that? That's the key to the door of liberation. So by observing, you know, in in, in terms of, you know, this uh, wanting to become something, wanting to get, wanting to attain, wanting to feel that I've really gotten something from my years of monastic life. Really, you know, really achieved and attained something. Could be another just self-delusion, isn't it? Or to feel I haven't gotten anything out of it. Because both of those, those are the two extremes. But the result, say, is a sense of awareness, of, of awakened attention, recognized, trusting it. It's very simple. It's not an attainment, not something I can claim as because I'm such a good meditator or such a strict monk that I'm really, you know, got my act together due to all these conditions. Is uh, recognizing, realizing that which is true nature, which is Dhamma, the way it is which is not judged according to conditions, views, or dualistic thoughts. So in monastic life, one of the, the, the kind of essence of monasticism really is contentment. You know, being content with, you know, and, gra and gratitude, contentment and gratitude, these are you know, these are, in, in monastic tradition, you know, these are the essence of the life, you know, what it's about. It's not about striving or becoming or changing or improving or getting what we want or anything like that. It's, it's, you know, life is based on trust and faith and, and uh, goodness in other people. You know, this monastery here is so well supported. Because people, they trust, they, they're generous, the requisites and so forth. Uh, you know, we have so many, uh, you know, so much to be grateful for 
in terms of what what is necessary to survive as a human being in this society it's, it's you know there's a, it's been a, my experience is one of great generosity and then contentment not always you know wanting and thinking how to get everything better but to be content with what we the way it is and you can't make yourself content but you can be aware of discontentment so if I don't like the way it is, I can be aware of that. Not wanting it to be this way is like this. Because in monastic, in monastic communities, you know, one, one of the suffering experiences of being living in community is wanting it to be, you know, harmonious, peaceful, community of, you know, really good monks and nuns, sincere and dedicated, and, you know, you can really trust, put your faith in, and respect. That's idealism, isn't it? And then, you you know, then it's it's full of, if, if that's your, what you grasp, then you're, you're going to be very discontented with the realities of of monastery life. Because the condition's changing, you know, they can't, you can't keep every, every monk and nun, you know, kind of programmed into being the way you would like them to be. And so we, you know, each one of us is the way we are. We have these kind of idiosyncrasies and whatnot, <laughs> eccentricities, character tendencies, <laughs> some totally, you know, strange uh, conditions, but uh, on the level of contentment is learning to decon, you know, recognizing the suffering of following discontentment, blaming, discontentment, complaining, resenting, these kind of mental states you can, you can recognize. Like my, my, my tendency as a personality is to complain. I have a complaining personality. You know, when I went, went to stay with Ajahn Chah, I started, you know, after the initial kind of honeymoon period with uh, Ajahn Chah was over, initial kind of inspiration, and isn't this wonderful? And I started noticing things I didn't particularly like, complaining. And then I, you know, began, to, and there's the stories in my books about how, you know, how I could begin to notice the suffering I was creating. I watched myself complain. I observed the, this complaining mind. And by observing it, I began to think, I don't want to, I, if I keep doing this, I'm going to be reborn next life as a person that's going to complain again for another lifetime. I thought, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Imagine having going through another lifetime just to complain more and more. And if I keep complaining about it, it'll then what'll happen, I'm sure, you know. So I'm not going to complain. I mean, it's recognizing this the the misery of complaining. And so over the years I st I don't you know there's still you know, I can still feel it, that movement, but I don't follow it. 
I mean, if I do follow it, I'm aware, and I don't don't give it any 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 real uh, ground to grow in. So more and more, then there is this this the reality of contentment and gratitude, which is a joyful, heartfelt feeling, a foundation for reflection and understanding. So, before you start complaining about how long I'm talking, <laughs> I will stop here. <laughs> <laughs>